Well, friends, happy St. Patrick's to you. As we said, uh, there's a lot of myths about Patrick. He didn't banish the snakes from Ireland. There's no proof that he used the three-leaf shamrock to teach the doctrine of the Trinity. He wasn't Irish. He was from England, in northern England, which at the time was a Roman colony still because the Roman Empire had not fallen yet. He had a Roman upper-class uh, upbringing. Uh, Patrick was not Irish, so he wasn't canonized by a pope. To our knowledge, the pope didn't even know that Patrick had gone to Ireland. And nor was his real name even Patrick. That was an adopted name that he used for the Irish because Patricius in Latin means a father figure. So he came as a 45-year-old man as a missionary to Ireland with the name Patricius, even though his real name was Maywin Sukut. Maywin Sukut. That's like when you hear somebody's uh, name before they had the Hollywood name, right? It's like, really? Your name is like Erwin Schnickbagel? You know, like... No, okay, so Maywin Sukkot was Patrick's name. Well, none of, that, none of that trivia matters. None of the myths that are dispelled matter because Patrick was a hero. Patrick was actually better than any of the myths. Let me give you a quick bio, a bio of Patrick's life, okay? He was born, and this is a correction in your bulletin, he was born in 387 because the way it works with birth and death, you have to be born before the year of your death. So if he died in 461, he couldn't have been born in 487. I just figured that out as I was reading it. So born in 387 in Roman Britain to upper-class parents. His father was a decurion, which was a, a Latin name to mean he was one of the governing senators from that province of Roman Britain. At age 16, uh, Patrick was captured into slavery. Some Irish raiders came over to the northern part of England or southern Scotland they took a bunch of prisoners back with them as slaves, and Patrick was one of them. And for six years, he, was, he spent suffering as a slave in Ireland until the age 22 when he escaped from slavery and he, got, and he went all the way back to England. And by the way, when he went back to his hometown, nobody in his culture, nobody in their lifetime had ever heard of anybody escaping from slavery in Ireland and making it back to England alive. And then you can do the math, 23 years after he escaped from slavery, Patrick returned to Ireland as a Christian missionary, and he worked there 29 years straight, stayed in the, in the nation of Ireland until his death in the year 461, and he died on March 17, and that's why we celebrate March 17 as St. Patrick's Day. It was the day of his death, the, the commemorating his death, not his birth date. You know, it's interesting, uh, when we're in this series called Storyteller, I do want to include one story that Jesus told, the story of the mustard seed. You guys are familiar with that story from Matthew's gospel, chapter 13? In the story of the mustard seed, Jesus told them another parable, and he said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. You know, that's amazing. That's a great picture of the kingdom of God at work. The kingdom of God often starts very small, seemingly insignificant. But as it takes root, it grows and flourishes. And as what happened with the gospel in Ireland, I mean, the myth, and this is another kind of a mythical statement about Ireland. But they do say about Patrick, when Patrick landed on Ireland as a missionary, there wasn't one Christian on the island. 
When Patrick died in Ireland, almost 30 years later, there wasn't one pagan on the island. Now, that can't possibly be true, but that just shows you the success that he had. So even though the gospel started small, with one man landing in northeastern Ireland, the gospel spread in his lifetime and took over the whole land for the, for the church and for the gospel. So Patrick was raised, as we said, in northern England or southern Scotland. He was raised in a village called Banavent by Christian parents. Of course, you can imagine a kid growing up in a Christian home. Of course, you've probably never heard a story like this. Patrick grew up and he was not all that enthusiastic about the Christian faith. In fact, when Patrick was a teenager, he said he cared very little for religion. He didn't uh, listen to the priests. Patrick confessed later. He said, we turned away from God. We did not keep his commandments. We did not listen to our priests, even though they warned us. And so now Patrick is 16 years old and uh, something tragic happens in his life. Uh, he was captured by these Irish raiders. They came to northern Britain and he's taken across the Irish Sea by these pirates. Patrick is sold into slavery. And in his own writing, uh, he wrote this, this great uh, autobiography, if you will, with a religious twist to it. It was called The Confession or The Confessio in Latin. And in his writing, Patrick writes how he was, in his six years of slavery, he was humbled every day by hunger and by nakedness. And during his six years, he was tending sheep and cattle in the Irish wilderness. Well, the Irish, now this, this is the kind of people, the culture to whom Patrick was dragged over to as a teenager. The Irish were a fighting people. They were thoroughly pagan. They were fierce in battle. They were feared because they practiced headhunting in battle. They had a belief that you could steal a person's soul if you cut off their head, one of your enemies. And so they loved to take the head of their enemy. And the religion of the Druids included animal sacrifice. It included even human sacrifice. And so Patrick is now a teenager enslaved in a land far from home. He was unfamiliar with their language, Gaelic without companionship or comfort. And Patrick rediscovered in his own heart the only hope that was available to him. In his confessio, he said that as a later teenager, his faith in Christ was renewed. He was now offering up to 100 prayers a day. And in the night, a like number. He prayed as he, quote, stayed out in the forest and on the mountain. And before daylight, he prayed when it was snowing in the icy coldness and in the rain. I want to show you a, a video uh, that talks about Patrick and his escape. Uh, Patrick was in his early 20s. He was asleep one night, and in a dream, a voice spoke to him that Patrick soon would learn was the voice of God. The voice told him in his dream that Patrick would soon be departing back to his land of origin. And soon afterwards, Patrick writes that he heard another voice in a separate dream, say to him, Behold, your ship is ready. Please give your attention to the screen. Patrick wrote, I heard in my sleep a voice saying to me, It is well that you fast. Soon you will go to your own country. And again, after a short while, I heard a voice saying to me, See, your ship is ready. Patrick escaped and traveled 200 miles cross-country to the coast. He found a ship ready to sail, but was refused passage. After a desperate prayer, 
he was allowed aboard. Patrick returned to his home and family. His experience of God's grace and provision solidified his faith, and he began to study for the ministry. One night he had a dream. There was a man who came from Ireland with a whole bunch of letters, and he opened up one of the letters, and it said across it, the voice of the Irish. And then he heard a voice coming out of this letter that said, holy boy, please return to us. We need you. Patrick struggled in his soul. Could he return to Ireland and minister to the same people who had enslaved him? Once again, he turned to God in prayer. He received the answer in a dream. He talks about how he, in this dream, is trying to pray, and yet he can't. And so that he hears a voice coming from inside of him, which he realizes is the voice of God praying for him. Patrick knew he had to go and convinced his church that he was called to be a missionary to Ireland. He set sail in a small ship. Patrick landed here at the mouth of the Slaney River. When Patrick set foot on the shore, a new era dawned. So this is Patrick as a young man, renewing his faith in Christ as a later teenager, in his sufferings, in his slavery. I'm sure he identified with Christ in his sufferings. And later on, he admitted that his wayward uh, walk from, from God, he was brought back through the suffering to, to renew his faith in God. So now, you know, Patrick is back in his own hometown. Uh, they throw a big party in celebration for his return because, as I said, nobody had ever heard of somebody returning alive from slavery, uh, taken away captive in Ireland. He lands back in England, and he's back home now, and he's in his 20s, and Patrick has a dream. And I, could I get the lights on here so I could see a little bit better? There we go. Thank you so much. All right, so Patrick could not get the Irish out of his mind. Even though he hated his time in slavery and he didn't want to go back to that suffering, Patrick couldn't get the Irish out of his mind. One night, Patrick had a dream. There was a man who came to him carrying a, a, a handful of scrolls in the dream, and the man's name was Victorious. And he came to him and he handed Patrick a scroll. And in the Irish language, Patrick read, he says, we ask you, holy boy, come and walk among us again. If any of you are familiar with the book of Acts in the New Testament, uh, you'll remember how the apostle Paul, the, a very similar experience happened to him in Acts chapter 16. And I, I'm not sure if we have that scripture ready to go or not, but in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul relates this, Luke the writer says, during the night, Paul had a vision, and I don't know if you remember the, the context of this, but Paul and his missionary companions, they were on their second missionary journey, they were trying to figure out where to go, they were trying this province, and the Spirit of Christ said no, they were trying another province, they said nope, the Holy Spirit blocked them from going there, so they're probably at this city of Troas in northwestern Turkey saying, God, we we're ready to go preach the gospel. Where do you want us to go? And that night, Paul had a dream and he had a vision. And a man from Macedonia said to Paul in the vision, he said, uh, the man said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so after Paul had seen the vision, he said, we, we talking about Luke, because he was part of the missionary team at the time, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So just as Paul was called to preach the gospel to the people in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, 
Philippi and Thessalonia and Berea, those cities where God planted churches there in Acts chapter 16 and 17. So Patrick felt the call of God in his life. Come over, holy boy. Come and walk among us again. And so Patrick uh, felt the call of God, and I want to show you the second video. It was an Ireland of tribalism, an Ireland of war, an Ireland of suspicion, an Ireland of violence and death. Here he came as a virtual stranger to this country of warring factions. They worshipped multiple gods of the sky and the earth and the water. And so that was his first challenge, uh, was to convince uh, the Irish that uh, there was just one God and that this God really did love them. Patrick came face to face with tribal chieftains and their Druid priests. The showdown came on the morning of his first Easter in Ireland. Part of the pagan worship was uh, that a fire was lit. And first of all, the fire uh, on the hill of Tara, and no other, no other lights all in Ireland. This monastery on the hill of Slain is where Patrick, in direct defiance of the High King of Tara, lit a forbidden fire. He was summoned before the king, and he explained that he wasn't a threat, really, because he was bringing the new light, the light of Christ, the Savior of the world, the light of the world. The first light of Easter Day was dawning. Patrick brought the hope of Easter Day to Ireland. Patrick actually lit that fire in defiance of the Druid religion because the, at the time in that area, there was only one fire that could be lit and it was in honor of some god of the Druid people and Patrick uh, went and lit the fire and so he started this controversy and of course the local ruler there got really upset and he's like, you're going to die for that. And Patrick was able to convince him that the, the light of the fire represented the light of Christ, whom he was bringing to the Irish people. And that uh, Easter fire was what began the evangelism. Now, what, what I have to tell you the rest of the story was there were more power encounters that happened at the time between Patrick and some of the Druid priests. And some of this might be legend and some of it might be fact. But the bottom line is that every time there was a religious spiritual power encounter, Patrick's God won the day and finally convinced the king, even though this king that they were re referring to, even though that king didn't uh, convert at that time to the Christian faith, he did two great things for Patrick. He uh, allowed Patrick to preach the gospel in all the country of Ireland, and he offered him his protection. He says nobody can harm Patrick because he's under the protection of the king. So Patrick knew. Uh, let, let me back up to before Patrick landed on the island of Ireland. Let me go back to those 20 years because some of you are probably thinking, well, okay, if he's in his mid-20s, let's say, and God speaks to him in a dream, and the, they say, come back over to Ireland and, and walk among us again, and Patrick was 45 years old by the time he landed on the island. What happened in those 20 years? 20 years go by, that's a long time. Well, Patrick, as a teenager, was not very educated being brought over into slavery. And so Patrick knew that if he was going to be a missionary, a bishop, an evangelist to the nation of Ireland, he was going to have to get a lot of training. So Patrick uh, was ashamed of his own uneducated uh, state. So he goes to France and he studies Latin. He studies Christian theology. He studies the Bible. He's trained to be a priest. He's ordained to be a priest. He's ordained to be a bishop. And it was a long, painstaking process. I guess it took a long time for Patrick to learn all that. 
that he needed to know so that he would be prepared to go back and preach to the Irish people. So he put on his clerical robes. He trained for the priesthood. Uh, he struggled uh, not having an easy time to go back to school, but he did learn and master Latin, and he was finally prepared, and that's where he went back at age 45. So he went back to Downpatrick, Ireland. And I looked it up on the map. It's in northwestern Ireland. It's at this mouth of a river. And Patrick, you can imagine, after being gone 23 years, escaping as a slave, lands back at this land where he feels called by God to go and preach the gospel to the people. So he preaches the good news of Christ. I want to share with you a portion of Patrick's prayers because I mentioned to you that when Patrick was preaching the good news to the Irish people, there was a lot of spiritual opposition. You can imagine a country, an entire nation cloaked in darkness. People estimated that there were 250 to 300,000 people on the island of Ireland at this time. And if there wasn't one Christian yet on the island, you can imagine it would be a stronghold of the enemy. So Patrick developed this prayer for protection and for confidence and for going out in the power of the Holy Spirit so that when he preached, he would have God's protection and he would have God's power when he shared the good news of Christ. Now, there's much more to this prayer than what you see on there. I mean, you're like, this is a long prayer. But it's, this was only a portion of what Patrick actually prayed. He, he talked about... He said, when I go out, I, I want Christ to be with me. I want Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me. You can imagine, you know, filling himself, you know, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. And then he says, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Can you imagine of that? When somebody thinks of you, do they think of Jesus? Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. And now referring to the, uh, the spiritual warfare, there's more to that prayer. It says, the host of God to defend me against the snares of demons, against the temptations of vices, against the lusts of nature, against every man who mediates injury to me, whether far or near, with few or with many. He says, I have set around me all these powers against every hostile savage power directed against my body and my soul, against the incantations of false prophets, against the black laws of heathenism, against the false laws of heresy, against the deceits of idolatry, against the spells of women and smiths and druids, against all knowledge which blinds the soul of man to Christ. Very deep, uh, very emotional prayers. You can, you can see the depth of his uh, walk with Christ in those prayers. Because the, la the Patrick that... Uh, the land that Patrick was uh, going to had greedy kings, warring tribes. They've turned uh, Ireland into a land of a number of different hostile fief fiefdoms. Patrick survived by the grace of God. Patrick survived by the knowledge of the language and by his generous spirit 
and by his understanding the culture. Here's, here's an example of, of how Patrick understood the culture. When he came to Ireland and he came before a, a local chieftain or a ruler, he knew the high value that the, that the Irish people had on giving and giving gifts. And so Patrick always had a nice gift to give to the king or to the local ruler as he met that person. And in exchange, they, he would win a temporary friendship with the local chieftain or ruler, and the king would offer Patrick protection in the land where he was ruling. So it now fell to Patrick, okay, I'm in the land, I'm still alive, they haven't killed me yet. It fell to Patrick now to try and persuade the Irish to give up their traditional religious beliefs. The Irish gods and goddesses, they embodied the elemental forces of nature. So Patrick carried around with him what we now call the Celtic cross. Have you, have you seen a picture of the Celtic cross? You know, you know what a cross looks like. Well, if you picture a circle around the top half of the cross, now somebody says, well, what does that circle represent? Well, it could represent one of two things. It could represent the sun, as in the sun outside, which would be Patrick sort of accommodating one of the deities that the Irish, ruled, that the Irish people worshipped, or, as most people think, Patrick converted that idea of the circle representing the S-U-N, and he said that circle represents the halo that is around the Holy Son of God, that, that Jesus is the Holy Son of God, and he's the Savior of the world, and he came to give his life for you, so you need to believe in him and trust in him so you'll have eternal life. So there's the meaning of the Celtic cross that, I, that uh, Patrick brought around to him. Patrick's biggest hurdle was to convince the Irish people that there was only one God who was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Patrick did not scorn their traditions, but he merged them into the Christian faith. He convinced the Irish people that there was one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, and this God was loving, and this God was merciful. And so he embodied the ideals of love and selfishness through the stories of Jesus that he preached from the Gospels. He must have intrigued the Irish people with this story of a man, God who became a human being, a man who would sacrifice himself for the benefit of others, giving his own life to ransom other people out from under the captivity of the enemy. Patrick said this, I have set thee as a light to the uttermost part of the earth. And so once people were converted, then Patrick set out to provide the Irish with these precious gifts. So in his lifetime, he converted thousands of people. Many thousands of people were baptized. Many churches were planted. Many monasteries were founded. Even in Patrick's lifetime, he provided them with another gift to the Irish people. And this was the gift of literacy. This was the gift of the ability that he taught them how to read and write so that they could read and understand God's word for themselves. And you can see the effect that Patrick had on Ireland and even on the rest of Western Europe as they were getting ready to go into the Dark Ages with the fall of the Roman Empire only a, a decade or so after the death of Patrick. Patrick lived out his life in poverty. He traveled often. He suffered greatly. But ultimately, Patrick was triumphant. He taught people about the one true God and how to follow him through Jesus. Patrick was naturally good-humored. It's probably what endeared him to the Irish people. And he preached the gospel in their own native tongue. I heard a story one time of, of Egypt. 
and how these flyers were flying out of the sky in Egypt and how these German missionaries had, a, had arrived in the land of Egypt to share the good news of Christ with the Egyptian people. The trouble is that, that the literature and the flyers that they were handing out and distributing among the Egyptians, they were preaching the gospel to them and the language was German. I can't even imagine that. You know, uh, Egyptian people speaking Arabic, and they said, well, here's the gospel. Here's the good news so you can understand how to follow the one true God through Jesus in German. You know, missionary 101, try to learn the language of the people to whom you're trying to reach, right? So Patrick, uh, the advantage that he had from being a slave there, even though he suffered, was he was able to preach the gospel to them in their own language, right? Patrick had remarkable success. He, he aimed to convert the entire island to Christianity, and he darn well succeeded. He helped to convert nearly a whole nation. At the end of the first year, of course, we told that story about the power encounter and the decision of the king to allow Patrick permission to preach the gospel in Ireland and have his personal safety. We have that. That's one of the ways that propelled uh, Patrick to later success. Here's, here's what happened in the year 444. In just 12 years after Patrick arrived, he established Ireland's first cathedral church. It was in a town called Armagh. Armagh, and that quickly became the center of Christian education, of church administration, of spreading the gospel, of training Christian leaders uh, to reach the rest of the island. There's a photo that we have somewhere in the slides where you can see a picture of the cathedral. That is in Northern Ireland, about 25 miles outside of Belfast. Uh, that's the, the very first cathedral that was built uh, during the lifetime uh, of Patrick, and I'm sure it's been rebuilt since then because that was about 1,600 years ago. So I want to I wanna share with you, because um, you can think to yourself, okay, Patrick, he suffered as a slave there from the time he was 16 until the time he was 22 years old. Why, you know, a lot of people would say, gosh, Lord, thanks a lot. Why, why was I the one that was captured and brought into slavery in Ireland? Well, Patrick had a, a view of it very similar to Joseph, right? Joseph was with his brothers. He was nearly killed by his brothers in an act of mercy. Joseph's brothers in the book of Genesis decide to sell him into slavery instead. Joseph goes down to slavery in Egypt, and he comes out of Egypt becoming the prime minister because of the ability that God gave to Joseph to interpret dreams and to answer these mysterious questions that the Pharaoh had and to save God's people and and Joseph would say later to his own brothers, you may have intended what you did to me. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. And Patrick, hundreds or, or even thousand years later, could be able to say the same thing. What happened to me was bad. My slavery was bad. But you know what? God can take all things. Do you remember what Paul says in his letter to the Romans in chapter 8? He says, he says, but God causes all things, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Patrick said, even those painful experiences of his slavery, the advantage that it gave him was he learned the Gaelic language of the Irish people. He learned their customs. He learned their culture. So that years later when he would return, he would have a big head start on evangelizing uh, this Irish people and winning them uh, to Jesus Christ and winning them to become children of God by faith. So there was, a, there was an advantage of that. Um, 
of, of Patrick. Of course, Patrick's remarkable success even during his lifetime. It's said that Patrick, by the time he died, that Patrick had baptized 120,000 people in, in, in Ireland. Now, that's at least half the population of the island at that time. So he had remarkable success. Maybe that's where the, hy the hyperbole statement came that when Patrick died, there wasn't even one pagan left on Ireland. But certainly had an amazing success in the 30 years of ministry. 120,000 people baptized in Ireland. Over 300 churches and monasteries were planted. Uh, here's the other great thing that happened in the ancient world that hadn't happened hardly anywhere else. Slavery. By the time Patrick died, slavery was abolished in the land of, Ir of Ireland. Do you know that the Catholic Church did not come out officially against slavery until the late 19th century? So not until the late 1800s did they officially come out against slavery. And Patrick, uh, because of the gospel, because of seeing what slavery did in his own life and the life of other people, he was totally against it. And he convinced the Irish leaders to give up this evil practice of slavery. He says, I am a great debtor to God who bestowed his grace so largely upon me that multitudes were born again to God through me. The Irish who never had the knowledge of God, the Irish who worshiped only idols and unclean things, they have lately now become the people of the Lord and they are called sons of God. However ignorant I was, he says, I dared preach the gospel as a testimony to all the nations. And whatever resulted, he said, it was the gift of God. You know, the other thing that happened uh, after, I, after Patrick died was that Irish and Celtic monks, they went out from Ireland and they spread the good news of Christ into the rest of England. They spread the gospel in Scotland in England and to the rest of the Europe during the period of the Dark Ages. So there's a tremendous, tremendous influence that he had. Patrick was able to die in peace. He was buried in Downpatrick, which was the place where he first landed in, in Ireland, where he began his mission, where he gained his first converts, and where he spent his declining years. And so it was that on March 17th, which we celebrate today, in the year 461, Patrick passed from this life and into the arms of his Savior in County Down, Ireland, which is about 20 miles south of Belfast. This is St. Patrick's Memorial Church in Saul. In 432 AD, Patrick built a church on this site. It was the first Christian church ever built in all of Ireland. Preaching the gospel, of course, baptizing converts, um, appointing clergy, Patrick's ministry lasted 29 years. He baptized over 120,000 Irish and planted 300 churches. What Patrick did was really lay the groundwork uh, for Christianity. This memorial stone marks the final resting place of Patrick. Now it's not really known exactly where he was buried, but they believe it's somewhere beneath the church on this hill, down Cathedral. He was a man who came to face and help his former enemies who had enslaved him. He came back to help them and to, to do them a great favor, the greatest favor he possibly could. I honestly feel that what Patrick taught Ireland was there is a cost to discipleship, but it's a cost that Christ will help you to pay.
You know, Patrick is loved by his people today. Here, here's an interesting fact in Ireland. Only until recently, this was such a holy day in Ireland, commemorating the, the, the death of St. Patrick, their patron saint, that the, the pubs and the bars in Ireland were closed on St. Patrick Day, Patrick's Day until recently. So there wasn't any green beer going around. There wasn't any partying going around like we have it in today. And of course, what do we do with all great holidays in America? We just turn them into a great time, to, a great occasion to party. We do it with the Super Bowl. We do it with Cinco de Mayo, which I found out Cinco de Mayo. They don't even celebrate Cinco de Mayo in Mexico. And in, and in St. Patrick's Day in Ireland, it's a holy day and it's a day of worship and a day of prayer, mostly. So it, it, this just says what we do with holidays, even in America. You know, the Irish people loved and accepted Patrick all over Ireland. They were raising crosses. On the crosses, they had carvings of biblical stories so that even the illiterate could understand the gospel message. Uh, the two of his writings that he uh, produced still are in effect today. One is called Confessio. You can look it up. Uh, it's his autobiography. Uh, the other one is a letter that he wrote to an English chieftain. I guess, you know, tit for tat, the Irish raiders come over and steal Patrick and bring him into slavery. And now, years later, while Patrick is a middle-aged man, this English raider comes over to steal and, and kill and plunder and grab female slaves to take back to England. And Patrick writes a letter to this man, to Caroticus, where he condemns him for this activity. He's very gutsy. Uh, this British tyrant uh, who was plundering the land, Patrick wrote these words. He says, Surely it was not without God or simply out of human motives that I came to Ireland. In my own human nature, I was born free. I was born of a Decurian father. Remember, his father was a member of the Roman Senate in that province. He said, but I sold out my noble state. I sold it out for the sake of others. And I'm not ashamed of that, nor, I do, nor do I repent of it. Now I, in Christ, I am a slave of the foreign people. Talking about the Irish. I'm a slave of them and for the sake of the indescribable glory of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you can see a remarkable man, an unlikely missionary who was used by God to have a remarkable effect on this world for good. E even uh, being able to abolish slavery in the land where he lived in his lifetime. I want to share with you just three takeaways from, pa from Patrick's life. This is in your bulletin. The first one, I mean, this is something that we can all learn from his example. The first one, the first takeaway is this. Patrick did not become bitter at God for life's injustices. You know, I think all of us have some bad that happens to us in life. You know, life is not always a bowl of cherries. It's not always a bed of roses. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to all people. And the good thing about Patrick was even in his slavery, instead of becoming bitter at God saying, God, why did you do this to me? He saw it as a wake-up call from God saying, God, it's time for me to get right with you and get my relationship right with you. And God used that time of bitterness to prepare Patrick for a lifetime of missionary service. God can use even painful experiences in our lives for his glory. Sometimes God does allow us to go through hard times, but it's in order to shape us, to change us, to mold us, to chip away the hard edges of our lives, to get us ready for greater service to him later on. So thank God that Patrick didn't become bitter 
for life's injustices. The second is that when God spoke to Patrick, Patrick obeyed. Patrick obeyed God's voice when he spoke to him. When, it's, when the first time he heard God's voice, Patrick, you're going to be leaving your life of slavery. Your escape is going to be near. Your ship awaits you. Patrick obeyed that voice. That wouldn't be so hard a voice to obey, I would think. I'd be like, hey, I like that message. I'm out of here. So he, he risks death as a runaway slave, goes down to the shore, says, God brought me here. I can imagine Patrick's reaction. God brought me here. He got me safely to the shore. Here's the ship. Here's the captain. Captain, I'm a runaway slave, but God sent me here, and I'm supposed to go on your ship and escape from this God-forsaken land. And the captain says to him, nope, I'm not taking you. And Patrick's like, what? So Patrick... Uh, turns around, starts praying to God, didn't give up on his relationship to God, didn't say, God, you know, you led me astray. He starts praying, say, God, you're going to have to change this guy's mind because he's supposed to do this. And after a, a number of minutes praying, the captain says, hey, boy, get over here. You can get on my ship. So he listened. He obeyed God's voice when he spoke to him. Come, holy boy, come back to us and walk among us again. You know, 23 years of preparing, 20-some years of preparing your life to go back to a life of missionary service, heeding the voice of the call of God. That's something we can all learn from. And then number three, what Patrick did in Ireland, in Ireland, that is exactly what God commands us all to do. What does it say in, in the, the, one of the last verses in Matthew's gospel? We call it the Great Commission. It says, go, Jesus is telling us, whoever follows Christ, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things I have taught you. Patrick was obedient that, to that command, and I hope that we individually are, and I hope that we as a church remember that that's our mandate, not to be an inwardly focused church. Hey, we're just glad to be here. It's Sunday. We gather together. We have a great time together. All that could be true, but never forget our mandate. Go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to invite the choir now, uh, Becky and the choir to come on forward and get ready to sing their song. I see all this lovely green most of y'all are wearing. That's great. And I'm going to invite us to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a remarkable man of God, a, a remarkable man, a personality, a character who was absolutely committed, body, life, and soul, to your purposes for his life. And how many times he risked death over and over? How many demons did he have to battle? How, many, how much spiritual warfare did he have to go through in order to be able to, to speak the good news message of Christ to a people who desperately needed to know who you are and who Jesus is and what that means to be in a right relationship with God? Thank you for the life of Patrick of Ireland. And I pray, God, that, that each of us in our lives... We who call ourselves your followers, let, Lord, let each of us heed your call that you have on us to, to love you with all of our heart, to love our neighbor as ourself, to seek the best interest of whatever is in our, our neighbor's life. Lord, help us to love like that because you said that all people would recognize that we are your disciples if we would love our neighbor like that. Love our neighbor as you loved us. 
And then finally, Father, let us heed your call on our lives to spread your good news message to whoever needs to hear it. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to have that enthusiastic joy that Patrick had. Let us follow his example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.